Life Off the Pendulum is the course of study for this fall semester in adult Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. In this study, Rev. Dr. Jim Von Bush will expose and explain what life on the pendulum looks like and the many struggles and heartaches we encounter because of it. He will also share what life off the pendulum can be, a life that trusts and rests in the abundant grace of God. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for giving us safety on the roads this morning and for putting it within our hearts to want to be here in this place and with you and with one another. So Father, for those who are still traveling, uh, we ask that you would give them safety. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us in this time together, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Where's that music coming from? Heaven. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are into Life Off the Pendulum, session number 11. And uh, just a little heads up, we have this week two more weeks, and we'll wrap up our series on Life Off the Pendulum. I'm excited about these last few, as they really do kind of turn our focus a little bit, I should say last three, a little bit from the idea of how do we identify all the different pendulums and where we might be on those pendulums to some real practical, I mean, obviously we do that every week. We look at what does life off the pendulum look like? What is the faithful response? Um, But in these next few, it really does emphasize the we or the us factor as I like to refer to it. And how is it now us on or off the pendulum? And what does that mean for one another? I'm sure you've been told this before or know it already, uh, but in the New Testament, there are over 50 verses that are called one another verses. 50 plus verses. And it's things like, because you have been loved, love one another. Because you've been forgiven, forgive one another. And so there's 50 plus of those one another kinds of verses. Paul emphasizes over and over again throughout his letters the us factor in the body of Christ. That we, while individuals, comprise the whole. And, uh, and so I think that in these next few weeks, that is more of our emphasis is that us factor or interdependence. But uh, what it also reveals for us, I think, is that life on the pendulum can certainly impact the we or the us factor. So that's what we're looking at today a little bit more. Life on the pendulum where we exist because of our brokenness. You are different would be our statement there. Life on the pendulum, the focus is you are different. The question becomes, what do we mean by different? What do we mean by different? If life on the pendulum has has a, a brokenness to it that we look at others and we say, whether out loud or most often in our own mind and heart, you are different. You are different than me. You're different than us. What do we mean by different? We could be as broad as race and ethnicity. We could look at other people and say, you're different. You're different than me. You're different than us. It could be as simple as nationality. You're not one of us. 
you're not the same nationality that we are. And that obviously takes a front page in our news late, you know, for for months and actually a long time now is well, what about who's who's part of this nation and who isn't? And so that becomes a, a talking point for many newscasters and things along that line. But sometimes we say, well, you're different. You're not the same nationality as me. Bringing it closer to home, we could say you are not Lutheran or you're not of the same denomination if we want to just make it a little more broad. You're different because you are not of the same denomination that we are. And so we would say you're not Lutheran. Any other denomination might say the same thing. You're not Baptist, you're not Episcopal, you're not whatever the case may be. We could make it a little bit more personal in saying that, well, you're different because of the kind of career you have or the kind of career I have. Quite often we look at other people in different careers and we say, well, you're different. That's your job, that's what you do, this is what I do. And sometimes it's with a judgmental kind of statement. Um, I think what I do is better than what you do. So you are different. It could also follow along those same lines with economic status. You're different. The people we see in the community around us, there are all kinds of various economic status represented. And so we might look at others and say, well, you're different. Aren't we glad we are different? Well, you're getting ahead of me, Lucille. I'm building a case here. <laughs> you're right. We can be glad we're all different. But how often in, the, in life on the pendulum, we don't go that route, right? Um, here's another way that we might say you are different. I'm from a small town. There's a country song that's played a lot right now. Try that in a small town, I think is how it goes. One of the guys at the gym where I occasionally attend, um, he wears a t-shirt quite frequently that has the outline of Idaho on the back of his shirt and it says, try that in a small town. <laughs> so you know what the message is, right? Just go ahead and try that. But there is a different mindset, different mentality between small town and big town. There's even a different mentality I have discovered from this side of the river and the other side of the river. There's a different, and so we say, you're different. You think different, you live different, you make different choices, you act different, you're different. And it could be that that is the only difference maybe that is identifiable, but it sure impacts how we interact with one another, how we see ourselves, how we see others. We're from a small town, you're from the city, it's different. Or maybe we look at others and we say, you are different because of your lifestyle. Just the way you live. Your lifestyle makes you different than us or than me. Maybe it's as simple as appearance, what you look like. You know, if you want to go for a field trip, go to Walmart, and you'll see all kinds of different appearances. Just Visit Walmart. And we look around and we say, you're different. You're different. Or maybe it's just 
you know, the clique you belong to, your small group that you like each other, you think the same way, you view the same things from the same perspective, and so it's a clique that you belong to. You know, cliques didn't go out when we graduated from high school. They continue throughout life. And so now we form our little social groups based on we're all the same and everybody else is different. Any thoughts on this then? I mean, am I covering the spectrum of how life on the pendulum shows up in this short phrase, you are different? Any other thoughts there? Well, you're absolutely correct, Lucille. If we, by faith, believe that God is the creator of all people, then, of course, he has made us all different. We're told that he knits each human being in in the womb. And so, yes, you're getting ahead of me again. You're all the way at the end of this lesson, Lucille. I guess I better shut up. Any other thoughts on what this looks like as far as life on the pendulum and its ramifications? The ramifications of you are different. Lucille, what you're pointing out is if we believe that God did create everyone, what does that mean for us then? What's the next step? How do we live in that light? But if we are just looking at people and saying, well, you're different. And quite often the following statement is you are different and I don't like what's different about you. Does that make sense? You're different than us. You're different than me. And on the one end of this pendulum swing, we might say, and I don't like those things about you that are different than mine, me. Or they make me uncomfortable. Or, in fact, I really despise some of those things that are different than me. Right? Um, yeah, Leland. Worldview? Oh, sure. If we have a different worldview. That could show up in things like lifestyle or things of that nature. Even small town is a worldview. Uh, but definitely, what is our worldview? And is it, is it uh, directed for us by the Bible or, and the gospel? Or is it different? Worldview of God, I should say. Sure. Well, how do we view God? But you'll find, if I could use that as a springboard for a minute, Leland, let's say that in one of these categories, let's just go denomination for a moment, all Lutherans, and yet different worldviews of God, of the gospel, of its impact in our lives and one another. So even in this room, Lutherans, and yet probably a variety of worldviews. And how much has the gospel and the Bible directed what you think, what you believe, how you live? It would be different. For every, so we could sit here and say, you're different, even within that microcosm. So thanks, Leland. Those are, and those are the things that are maybe not quite so obvious. There would probably be many subtle differences that we could say, but you're different. You're different. What does everyone want, you think? Recognition. Okay, recognition, approval, being right, would those all kind of fit in that category, Mel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be accepted. We want to, others to accept us, so we're going to find those who are the same as us and, and not risk, you know. And, and not only that, but the focus is like you already pointed out, Anita, it's on me being accepted. Or as Mel pointed out, my recognition, mm-hmm. right, me being right. 
Mm-hmm. But then if, if we don't kind of hang out with people with the likeness of what we're thinking, that's going to cause contention. How do you mean, Melody? Well, it's like if, if, if I hang out with people who have different moral views than I do or different political views than I do and it gets brought up. Oh, now we've got a, a, a fight. Argument. Yeah. Right. So, good point. So, by just natural tendency, it sounds like what you're saying is birds of a feather flock together. It's easier. It is easier. And then even with that point, though, we'd probably find that, well, there's a few things you don't talk about. They're taboo. Because we're different. We're different. And we don't want to risk not, not being accepted or being rejected because we opened our mouth and shared something of what we might believe or think. And all of a sudden, the people around the table or we're, you know, we're with, all of a sudden it's like, wait, that's not what I believe. You're different. And it can become some conflict then. Well, I, want, I want to be in control. Well, there's that too, Leland. Yeah, for sure. We want to be able to control what's happening around us. And, if, uh, and we, when we do that, quite often by sticking with those people that share our same either views or maybe our desire to control, you know, or, you know, now it starts to expand, right? How this really plays out in, in encouraging us. I mean, it started when we were little. It started when we were just little tykes and we started spending time with those we were like, alike, that were similar to us. Safety. Definitely safety. For sure. Survival. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it does certainly feel like that, that it's just for survival. It kind of goes back to what Melody brought up already, that even in context of maybe the groups where you thought you were safe, all of a sudden it became unsafe because there was conflict. Or even then, we kind of know if we're with certain people, there's a chance for an argument. I want to prosper. How do you mean prosper? What would? How does this? The, you are different. And, and have stuff. Okay. And so we're going to hang out with people that also have that same mindset. Is that? Or give it to me. Or give it to you. Give you the wealth. Supply me with. It. Okay. <laughs> so that kind of goes back to even this economic status thing. We're going to look around and say, "You're different than me. You don't have anything to offer me." Is that? Am I on track, Leland? Mm-hmm. You're different than me. You don't have anything to offer to me. See how egocentric this becomes. How, back to our opening statements, how focused on me this statement is. Life on the pendulum is you are different than me. And I'm in, I'm, I'm, you know, just naturally. It's not even something that we necessarily process over and over again. This just becomes, life on the pendulum is just natural. We don't think about how to live on the pendulum. That's our natural state as broken sinners. Until you've taken this class. Okay, there you go. (laughs) More importantly, and the gospel has changed your mindset, changed who you are. Yeah, because I'm thinking all of these things that we've talked about in both of them are when we are focused on self. Mm -hmm. And when we put our self and our importance and our need for acceptance and our our need for relativity above Christ, above God, 
then we are full swing on that pendulum. Absolutely. You know? And so I, I think it, it really comes down to what does everybody want? Everybody wants to be the center of the universe. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I do. Everybody wants to be the important. And as the center of the universe, we look around and say, everybody else is different and I'm better. Somehow, some way, that's the message. It may not be that phrase exactly. It may not be that we, you know, shout that from the rooftops or anything. But ultimately, the way we be believe and behave, the things we say and do, are kind of couched in that thought process. You're different than me, and I'm better. And I'm going to be with people who make me feel better, who give me recognition, give me acceptance, give me things that I'm wanting in my life, make me feel safe, comfortable, all those things are wrapped up in this idea of you are different. So it changes things a little bit, right? When we start talking about, because ultimately what we're saying here in one word is judgmental. In one word, it's being judgmental and always assessing and evaluating, is this person or those people doing this for me? making me feel good, making me feel safe, important, giving me what I'm looking for. And if not, I'm going to keep you away from me. So. And that's how it should be. Why, why run around with somebody that makes you feel bad? Oh, now we're getting into the deep stuff, Lucille. Okay. Well, I was supposed to keep my mouth shut. No, that was perfect segue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why would we run around with people that make us feel bad? Yes. That's where we're going. So how do we get what we've been talking about in this life? We just said it's by judging others. On the pendulum, then, the either or, we judge people. And we this is the left-hand side of the column uh, of the pendulum, if you are particular about that. We judge people and we, let me read from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking, and it's recorded in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So we judge people, and we criticize them. That would be the first fill-in-the-blank if you are on the left-hand side of the pendulum. We judge people, and we criticize them. It might be in our own head. It might be with that close group of people that we associate with and we can agree with, and in that small group, then what does the conversation become? Judging other people outside that group criticizing them for one reason or another. Appearance, economic status, lifestyle, denomination, nationality, it doesn't matter. We can find something to criticize other people for because then in our group it makes us feel better and stronger and bigger and safer and all those things. I've heard that used so many times as an argument to, for people to justify their behavior. I've always interpreted judge not lest you be judged, that Jesus is actually talking about judge their faith and their commitment to, to Christ more than how they dress, how, you know, the, the other parts of the more worldly part, uh, aspect of life. So if you live in homosexuality, you should discern that, you should judge that. 
Should you not? Or is that if you're a thief or a, a cheater, an adulterer? Great question, Mel. So for our conversation at this moment, what Jesus is referring to here, again, keeping in the context of the whole sermon that he's been talking about, beginning with the Beatitudes and then going through and talking about, he says, if you've hated somebody, if you've called them a fool, you've murdered them in your heart, right? Basically what he says is, you've heard this, the law, I'm telling you it's a matter of the heart. It's not just the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. If you've lusted after a woman, you've actually committed adultery with her in your heart. So again, Jesus says, it's not just the outward action, it's what's happening in the heart. But then he goes on and he gets to this point, because what do we have to judge? I can't judge your heart. I don't know what goes on in your mind and heart. You don't know what goes on in the mind and heart of one another. So how can you judge the heart of someone else? What Jesus is emphasizing in this moment, I'm convinced, is what he's saying is we tend to want to look at the outward appearance and make a judgment. And we do it based on our own standard. This is the pendulum that Jesus is talking about. Don't live on this pendulum of using your own standard to judge other people. That's life on the pendulum. Yes? So when we do our confession and we confess and we have one certain confession thing that we read and it says, you know, forgive me for the things that I have done and that I have left undone. And, you know, things, and I kind of interpret that to think, say, be things that I have said and things that I have not said, things that I've just thought in my mind. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yes, indeed, Melody, there are things that we have actually done, right? We're asking God to forgive us for that. There are things that we thought in our hearts and minds didn't actually act on them, but they were there. But they were there. So, two aspects to that confession. That's deep and important for all of us to recognize. The other aspect of that is there are things I should have done that I didn't do. Things that I needed to have said to encourage, build up. I needed to tell somebody that they're forgiven. I needed to encourage somebody in their faith. I needed to share with somebody the truth of Christ's gift to them in his death and resurrection. There are things I needed to say, and I didn't. So it's all of that combined, Melody, and that's an awesome reminder for us. As Jesus says, if you want to use your own standard, see, this is the thing about life on the pendulum. You're different and I'm judging you. I have my own set of rules. I have my own set of standards, and that's what I use to judge other people. And what Jesus is saying is, you can't even live up to your own rules. You will use your set of standards to judge other people, and yet you violate your own rules. What God does in his faithfulness, in his justice, in his, in his goodness, in his holiness, he says, here's the standard. And what did Jesus do? He met the standard. So he was therefore sinless and could be that unblemished sacrifice for our sins. So the question is, whose standard are we using on the pendulum? Our own. We're using our own standard to judge other people. And Jesus says, and you can't even meet your own standard. I keep seeing Christ flipping over tables at the, at, uh, at the, temple? the temple. And there's a 
obviously a righteous anger in that. Is that not a moment of judgment? It, and is there not a time in our own lives where we can see true, uh, I guess, somebody truly sinning, and no, I don't want to judge someone's sin, don't get me wrong, but who is really not going in the way of Christ, you can clearly see it, that you should not stand in some judgment of that and saying, and not so much as judgment as reaching in and saying, what are you doing? Okay. I mean, I'm going to give two thoughts to that. Anita, thank you for that. First is through the gospels, we see Jesus act out judgment on a regular basis. Which he can, and I can't. Yeah. (laughs) Again, he can judge the heart. We can't. Many times he says he knew what was in their heart. Okay. Right? So Jesus does that. He flips tables at the temple. He tells Peter, Satan, get behind me. He tells the disciples, I am furious with you for stopping the children from coming to me. He says to the cities, woe to you, seven woes that are captured for us in in Matthew. Jesus pronounces judgment. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. So so often, and especially in culture, they go, we want the nice Jesus, right? Right? But Jesus also proclaims judgment repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And that is the full literal Gospel. Law and grace together. One without the other is insufficient. Just law is only condemnation and no hope. Only grace in the Gospel? That people don't think they need it. Why would I need it? I haven't heard of the law that says I need it. Both together. So, that's the first part. Yes, Jesus pronounces judgment to people in that immediate moment. Now, I'm going to hold on to the second part you brought up uh, till just a little bit later. So, if you remind me if I don't get, get to exactly what you were asking. Leland. For whose purpose, for whose benefit did Jesus do those things? For theirs. Yeah, it was all his love for them, not for his right. benefit. For, for that individual and for his church. So it's both and. When he tells Peter, you get behind me, Satan, you have the things of man in mind and not the things of God. He's talking about his church and the salvation of individual souls at the same time. So that's an important thing. And what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and following, is you're judging people for your own benefit, which is what we talked about is life on the pendulum. So, back to our our list here. We judge people and we criticize them. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, is you judge people and you criticize them. And you push people away. Isn't that the... We try and isolate. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we try and keep it just to our small group. And we push other people away. And in doing so, we judge people and we elevate ourselves. These are things you've already pointed out for us. These are just really summary statements at this moment. We judge people and we elevate ourselves. Again, that's exactly what Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 7. You're trying to elevate yourself by judging other people according to your own standard. And so we criticize, we push people away, we elevate ourselves, and in the end... What we're really doing is expressing dislike for them. 
whether it be based on their appearance, their lifestyle, where they're from, what their economic status looks like, what they do for work, how they live, what denomination they belong to, what nationality they are. See, we can travel the whole thing and say, we judge people and we express our dislike. (laughs) Maybe even sometimes hate. And we can disguise it. We can disguise it in, well, it's not good to be around those people. Doesn't Paul say that bad company corrupts good morals? Doesn't he say that we should only hang out with people like us? That's what the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees were saying, Jesus hangs out with all these other people that he shouldn't, if he knew anything, he wouldn't be hanging out with those people. He wouldn't be eating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. He wouldn't be spending time with the sick people and the and the lepers and the and the blind and the deaf. He wouldn't be doing those kinds of things. If he had any amount of ability to judge people, then he wouldn't spend time with them. That's what the Pharisees were saying. Judge them. They're different. And so we stand back. We point fingers, we criticize, and we express how much we dislike them. And again, it can be disguised in very religious... The Pharisees did it great. It can be disguised in religious tones. What is one of the first things Christians are usually criticized for? Being judgmental. Being judgmental. And sometimes it's true. Yeah, that's that left-hand side of the pendulum. The right-hand side of the pendulum, we judge people and we ignore them. We ignore them. We just act like they're not there. We judge people and for our own comfort and safety, we isolate ourselves from anyone that's different than us. Gets to be a pretty small group sometimes. In fact, sometimes it's just me, myself, and I. But we isolate ourselves. We judge people and we seek safety from others. You see, this is in contrast to the other end of the pendulum swing. So on the left-hand side, we judge people and we actually push them away. We actively do things that... We get bristly, we get grumpy, we say things, and boy, they don't want to be near us anyway. We push them away. On the other end of that pendulum swing, we isolate ourselves, we pull away, we withdraw, because that's safety is important. My safety from others. They might reject me, they might hurt me, they, you know, there might be something different about them. And so we judge people and we express fear. We're afraid of them. They're different, and so we're afraid. It doesn't take much history lessons to see how these, this pendulum has played out in culture over and over again. I have a really good example of that. You have two men walking down the street, and one of them is all tatted up and looks really rough, and the other one's in a business suit and looks really good. We're going to draw conclusions about that, aren't we? Right. Without knowing a thing about Without either one of them. Without knowing a thing about them, how do we know that this guy isn't the mob? The one in the suit is a mob guy and the other one is a preacher. Right. We don't. We don't know. 
But we make all kinds of judgments based on appearance, because that's, and we judge the heart based on appearance. Yeah. Yeah, the guy in the suit, you mentioned, I mean, you went to the mob. Wow. <laughs> he might just be cheating on his wife. Yeah. Or stealing from the company. Or stealing from the company, embezzling. Yeah. Yeah. Or beats and, kids. Right? We don't know. But like you pointed out, we just make appearances, um, the, the criteria. To avoid? To avoid the man with all the tattoos and the long hair. And then well, let's, let's look at our pendulum for a minute. Depending on the individual and your position on the pendulum, if you're on the left-hand side, we judge people and we criticize them, we push them away, we could give glances, we could give you know nonverbal expressions, we could mumble something, we could do all kinds of things as we pass that individual on the street, criticizing them, right? The other hand, it might be cross the street, avoid them, you know, I don't see you, you don't see me, that kind of thing. So that either end of the pendulum swing is how we might do this. Exactly, if we're going to try and be polite, but most often we just would ignore and go straight on past and be so glad we got away. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, now here's another example, though. When we started out talking about the pendulum and confronting the idea of seeking center, finding balance, and that there is no, that doesn't exist, you're still on a broken pendulum, even if you're closer to the middle, if you're not so extreme, right? Maybe the person on the left-hand side of the pendulum, if they're not real extreme, they'll just criticize in their own mind. They'll keep it to themselves, but they've done the deed, they've criticized. Further out on that pendulum, they might even say something, right? On the other end of the pendulum swing, maybe they'll just walk straight on past and, and just be glad when they're on, the, on their own again, or they might actually av avert and avoid anywhere on that pendulum. So what does seeking center finding balance actually look like? Does it mean I'm only going to dislike them a little bit? I'm only going to judge them a little bit? Does it mean I'm only going to be, you know, maybe I'll try and be a little friendly, give a courteous nod, hi. Boy, that was scary. What does it mean? It's still seeking center, finding balance. You're still on that pendulum and still doing the judging. Regardless of what it might sound like, look like, how intense it might be, the judgment has still occurred. Life on the pendulum, you're still different than me. And make some kind of judgment about it. So in moving forward with talking about what life off the pendulum looks like, let me finish what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 7. So I left off with, but do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, very rarely do we read the rest of those verses. Quite often we stop with the don't judge lest you be judged. What does that mean? And we find that to be impossible, so we go ahead and live life on the pendulum and go ahead and judge, because it seems impossible not to. 
But Jesus goes on here. He says, first and foremost, it's not your standard that matters. And you will be a hypocrite because you can't even live up to your own standard. But most importantly, and this goes back to that earlier discussion that I asked us to hold off on for a minute, is for whose blessing? Whose benefit would it be for? Jesus says, you've got a log in your own eye. How can you help anybody else if you still have a log in your own eye? First, have that log removed. Then you can help. It's going to be really hard to remove a speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a log coming out of your own. It's really visual what Jesus is offering us here. But if I don't have a log in my own eye, you know, I have found out in a sandstorm, it doesn't take much to really irritate the eye, right? A speck feels like a boulder. And I think what Jesus is saying here is after that log is out of your own eye, then you will be able to help that person with the speck in their eye that they would love to have removed. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to have that speck out of your eye? And so he says, it's to bless. See, the first part, it's, to, it's for self-gratification. It's for my self-preservation. It's for me. I'm going to judge you. And Jesus says, that's not the point. Once you have been forgiven, once you have been cleansed of your sins, now you can help somebody else. And that's the removing of the log. The log is forgiveness and cleansing of me. Okay. Yep. And then once I have received that forgiveness and had Jesus remove the log from my eye, then I can say to my brother or sister, how can I help you? How can I help you? It's not about me saying you're different and I'm either going to criticize you or avoid you. It's now I want to be involved. I want to be engaged in your life. Motivated by love, the same love I've received. Motivated by forgiveness, the same forgiveness I've received. Motivated by grace, the same grace I've received. So I'm not saying you're different and I want to criticize you or avoid you. I want to say, I want to be involved in your life for your blessing. That's where Jesus takes that. Any? There's so much I see that is... I think it's incongruent, at least in my mind, because the difference between discernment and judgment, because were we not given the ability to discern right from wrong? I'll use tattoos as an example. So and I think it's in Leviticus where it said you're not supposed to get all tatted up. Maybe. I think it says just that. I don't Some think there, I just saw something about tattoos. Yeah, yeah. And so there's, in my mind, there are two reasons people get tattoos. It's, hey, look at me. I want to track you. Or... I don't want you to look at me because I know I look repulsive. I don't want you, you being in my life. It's a safety net form because I don't have to interact. Or I want people to look at me. It, either way, it's all about me. So if you discern by behavior as, as much as looks, I don't see where that's as much judgmental as if you just simply say, they're tatted, I don't like them, I don't want them, you know, that sounds because they're ugly. So, yeah, so I'm a little confused as to how you see the discernment playing out. I mean, I, you've, you've captured the idea of what judgment looks like. It's criticizing. It's I don't want to be part of your life. I don't want you part of my life. I don't want you anywhere around me. And, and you obviously don't want me around you or whatever, right? 
Um, or the drawing attention, I mean, again, using tattoos as an example. Yeah. In Leviticus, it's because marking your body was a form of worship to other false gods. Now, we could say that if a person is getting tattoos because they're worshiping themselves as a false god, we That's kind of where I went. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. They, they get what? Tattoos that are hidden. So here's, I, again, I don't want to get off in the deep weeds on tattoos because there's all kinds yeah. of examples. The question becomes, what you've brought up for us, Mel, is are we judging for ourselves and our own benefit or are we discerning to be able to help and give grace? And what prompted that was Melody's question you know you don't know their heart right i can start forming some some uh, at least one of two ways one of two directions what this person is about mm-hmm. and and I we might be wrong I, but that's where i think discernment has to start is if i'm simply going to rag on somebody i don't care what, what their motivation is i don't like it so i'm going to rag on it and that could be just about anything yeah yeah. So, so that, again, the def- very judgmental. the defining moment. Yeah, exactly. That would be very judgmental. The defining moment is: Am I judging for my sake, or we can use the word discerning for their sake? Am I judging for my own welfare and safety and purposes and to elevate myself? I mean, the whole list that we've just done. Yeah. Or is it so that how do I engage with this individual? that I might be able to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. I've got one one example, and that's our, Sydney had a little, our granddaughter, had a little tattoo of a cross on her hand. And I said, why did you do that? I said, was that for you? And I said, God doesn't care how you mark up your body. He cares how you mark up your, your heart. Is this about, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian because I've got a cross. God doesn't care about that. He, he cares about the cross in your heart. I said, I don't like tattoos because to me that's not an word expression. Hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. So what you have to wrestle with, Mel, and all of us have our own issues to wrestle with, for you, you have an issue with tattoos. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> Among other things, but that's one of them. Yeah. And so if you see tattoos, immediately you have a, a response. Whether it's a stranger or your granddaughter, you have a response. What's going on there behind the motivation to have a tattoo? You're already processing all that. I'm guessing there are other people in the room that really don't care if people have a tattoo or not. Certainly. Yeah, so that still brings us back to the core piece here. Life on the pendulum is, is a judging of that individual. And quite often the judging is happening because of some uh, one of my issues or reasons or whatever the case may be. Discernment is how do I engage with that individual for the sake of the gospel? The only reason I brought it up to her is I wanted her to think about it. Sure. And that's what a grandfather can do. Okay. Yeah. Life off the pendulum. Acceptance. Acceptance. 
if we are homogeneous, meaning all alike, all the same, then we fail to communicate the gospel. If we are all looking the same, acting the same, doing the same activities, then we fail to communicate the gospel. Because who is the gospel for? All people. The gospel is for all people. We always are in danger, especially life on this pendulum that we've been talking about, this pendulum of you are different, this pendulum of judging others. We are in danger of communicating the gospel is only for people like us. That would be their perspective, anybody else's perspective. If they look at us and say those people are all the same, then the gospel is only for people like them. From our perspective, the same danger exists that a person must be like us to be given the gospel. Does that sound repulsive to you? That a person has to first be like us in order to share the gospel with them. My illustration is this. For years and years, missionaries went other places on the globe. And what did they do? They dressed them like us. They made them talk like us. They made them act like us. And then they gave them the gospel. They said, first you have to become Western. You have to put some clothes on if you were in some of the tribal places. Or you have to do some of the same things we do or act the same way we do. And then we'll share the gospel with you. That's right. Absolutely correct. And it's based on this pendulum to many in many ways. First, we're going to judge you and criticize you and say you have to be like us, and then we'll share the gospel with you. So it's not a new thing, but it's a continual thing. We're always in danger of the gospel, looking like the gospel is only for people like us. You know, I shared this with the elders a while ago. I said, we are, and I, I, I'm just being transparent with you. We are perfectly positioned as a church body to reach all the middle-aged white European farmers in our community. <laughs> Fair enough? Is, are they the only ones that need the gospel? I think we challenged you. Middle-aged? Yeah, you did challenge me on that. <laughs> you remember the conversation so well. <laughs> I was being generous. Yeah. So, <laughs> but those are the dangers that are always present because of this very pendulum. Because the gospel is for all people. And Jesus Christ, in everything he said and did, was to bring people into the gospel, into, into the kingdom. And so, if that's the case then we're talking about, from our perspective, life off the pendulum is acceptance. You see, that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you accept that person, you engage with that person, so that you might be able to share the gospel with that person in a way that makes sense to them.
That's that's what we're talking about here. We don't, you know, we're not the gatekeepers. It's not up to us. And so how do we demonstrate and show? Keywords, demonstrate and show. Love and acceptance for all people that they might hear the gospel. As soon as they receive from us, well, I'm different than them. I'm criticized by them. I'm judged by them. You really think we're going to be very effective at sharing the gospel? Probably not. So life off the pendulum is acceptance. Let's talk about the faith response then. And Lucille, we're finally there. We're finally there. We're finally there. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, those are some key phrases in the context of what we're talking about. He chose us. that we would be holy and blameless before him. But we can't do that. We can't make ourselves holy and blameless. He does that for us. He does that for all people. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's his desire. That's what he wants, is to adopt everyone into his family. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Christ himself. In him we have redemption through his blood. You see, the problem with life on this pendulum is we start to think, I didn't need Christ's blood. I'm okay. But Paul says we all needed redemption. We all needed grace. We all needed cleansed by his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Again, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Unite all things in him. Christ's work is reconciliation. Christ's work is making us acceptable to God. That's it. Through the redemption and grace and the blood of Christ, according to his purposes, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the faith response is, in Christ, I am accepted by God. For no other reason. Nothing in and of myself. In Christ. I am accepted by God. And so live in that acceptance. If what we said is true about life on this pendulum, everything we're doing with that you are different in judgment is to make ourselves feel better and safer and elevate ourselves and yet, and accepted. I think that was one of the first words that was offered, was accepted. And yet this faith moment is in every moment. I'm in Christ and I am accepted by God. And nothing can change that. I am accepted by God. And then, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, 
we regard him thus no longer. Listen to what Paul's saying. We judged Christ based on appearances. We judged Christ based on the flesh, what we could see. We don't anymore. And he says, it's the same with other people. We are spiritual beings. So see people as spiritual beings. Everything about this world will pass away. But our souls will live on. And so we see people as spiritual beings. And you're set free to do this because of the first one. In Christ, I am accepted by God, and therefore I have the fruits of the Spirit in my life, fruits like love, joy, peace. See, this pendulum, you are different, judgment, there is no room for love, joy, and peace on that pendulum. None at all. There is no love or joy or peace in criticizing or avoiding others, judging them. But when we are convinced that in Christ we're accepted by God, there's love, joy, and peace, and then we see, we see ourselves as spiritual beings and we see others as spiritual beings. And then the last one comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, even your faith isn't something you do. It is the gift of God. Therefore, none of it is a result of your works so that no one may boast in themselves. That's what this pendulum is about, is boasting in self, but definitely boasting in Christ. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That was his plan from the beginning. So here's the question, million-dollar question. Are good works necessary for salvation? No. Thank you. No. That was a resounding no. With, I think there was an exclamation point on the end of that. And in stereo. Absolutely not. Good works are not necessary for salvation. In fact, your good works, whatever they might be, are no good. Isaiah tells us that our good works are like filthy rags. And we're not just talking about the oily rag you had from checking the dipstick on your motor. These are blood-filled rags that Isaiah is talking about. Blood-filled rags. And we know in the Old Testament that that meant you were excluded, cut off. And so he's not just talking about a little, you know, dirt or maybe some kitchen grease or whatever. He's talking about the blood that would get you cut off from Christ, from his people. And so your good works are no good at all. So good works are not, necessar- are, are not necessary for salvation, and they cannot earn you salvation. But we do them because God wants us to help people. Lucille, did you read my notes? Let's close class right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say something to that, actually? Sure. Don't we do them because the Holy Spirit is working in us, saying he's changing our hearts more than... I mean, I want to do things that God wants me to do, but I'm not very good at it. Yeah. Um, but I think the Holy Spirit changes once you're forgiven. He's well, He's always working in your heart, and so it's not even it's not even that I think God wants me to do this. It's more. It's it's almost I don't even know how to explain it. It's like you're 
your heart leads the way instead of your mind thinking it. The Holy Spirit leads you into good works, not yeah, Paul writes how to the long fl- I've been a Christian or a Lutheran or how long I... Well, no, time doesn't mean a thing. Because yeah. I mean, we can resist the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Yes. So the gospel is about transformation. <clears throat> it, there's no greater change in a person than faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the work of the gospel. In fact, I'm just going to throw this out here. One of the things that happens with this life on the pendulum of this criticizing and judgment is one of the key phrases that shows up is, while we've always done it like this before, we don't change. And yet the gospel is always about change and transformation. So that's, a, that's an anti-gospel phrase, and it's criticizing what somebody might be doing, right? Isn't that what it's about? Yeah. So what you've brought up for us is, and Paul writes to the Philippian church, that the Holy Spirit is at work in you to want to do the will of God and to do the will of God. They're two different things. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit is working in you that you'll even want to because in our broken nature, we don't want to. That's where I was trying to go with that. Hey, teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, we're so often in the wrong place. Yeah, and we fight it. And we do fight it's the Holy Spirit. It's not always an easy direction. You're correct. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. Life off the pendulum, if you haven't noticed this already, is uncomfortable. What's natural is life on the pendulum. But life off the pendulum is uncomfortable. Because, again, the Holy Spirit is working in us to want to do His will and then also giving us the strength to do his will. Because we can't do either one on our own. So I think the third fill in the blank, I haven't given it to you yet. See God's handiwork in others. That's what verse 10 says. We are his. We are God's workmanship. We are his craftsmanship. Depending on the way that Greek word is translated, sometimes it says we are his masterpiece. I refer you back to point one. In Christ, I am accepted by God. I am his masterpiece, his work. And he says, masterpiece. It also means I can see God's handiwork in others, and they are his masterpiece. In creation, every human soul is created by God. Every human soul is created by God. And I can see his handiwork in salvation, in the salvation of others. That justification work that Christ does. And I can see his handiwork in sanctification, transforming them in wanting and doing the will of God. So that's the faith response. Let's talk faithful application real quick. The two things that we hold in tension. We express love and compassion to all people for the sake of their soul. We express love and compassion to all people for the sake of their soul. I was actually going to read some from the section of the Augsburg Confession, article number 20, where it addresses good works. And we've already asked the question, are good works necessary for salvation? The absolute answer is no, they're not. They're no good. However, they go on in the, in the confessions and remind us that here's the other way we ask that question. Are good works necessary... I don't get the same answer. Yes. 
good works are necessary. One, because it's God's will, as we've just been talking about. This is why I said you jumped to the end again on me, Lucille. Yes, good works are necessary because God wills it and for the salvation of others. Jesus says again in the Sermon on the Mount, the good works you do in the Holy Spirit because you are in Christ, they are so others will glorify your Father in heaven. It is for the sake of others, for their soul that you do good works. You don't do them for yourself. You don't need them. They can't do you any good anyway. But the good works you do in this life are because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And it's God's will from, how did we say it? God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And it's always for the, the welfare, this eternal welfare of someone else. That's life off the pendulum. Any comments, questions? What's the last one? We oh, I'm sorry. We honor others as a means of honoring God. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for reminding me. We honor others as a means. God works through means, right? That's how he delivers his grace to us. And he has designed it so that we work through means as well. The way we honor God is through the means of honoring others. Not just those that are like us. Okay, so I have a real quick question. We do, we do our good work, and is it wrong to feel good about it? Now, you, that's a quick question, but it's not a quick answer. <laughs> I think it actually goes back to this pendulum, and it's something that was brought up for us already. If I'm feeling good about it because I'm fatting myself on the back, then, well, then that's like here. Oh, inside. See, that's because that would be, I would think, because the Holy Spirit is filling you with that love, joy, and peace. So that's we want that. Yeah. That's, okay. Ex absolutely. Yeah. But I think it becomes discerning for us. We have to discern and say, is this part of life on this pendulum? I feel good because I was nice to that person. Yeah. <laughs> or is it the Holy Spirit just filled my heart because I was doing His will? Yeah. yeah. Very different uh, motivations and outcomes. Yeah. Father in heaven, thank you for inviting us into the deep things of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand, but more importantly, to believe the work that you're doing in us. And that, Father, we would see that in, in not only uh, what we experience internally as we are in unity with the Holy Spirit, but also help us be aware when we are back on that pendulum and help us to trust you to lift us off once again because off of that pendulum we can express your love and grace to those who need to hear it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.